In the name of the Father, and the Son, and God's Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. Some time ago, I heard a sentence that has lingered with me ever since. It said, there are really only two kinds of people in the world. There are those who want to make the world a better place for everyone, and there are those who are content to make a better place for themselves in the world as it is. If you think about it, those two form a kind of moral continuum. On the one side, you have really the highest and the best of human potentiality, our ability to act lovingly, to bless the whole creation. At the other end of this continuum is a kind of behavior that is hardly worth the adjective human. As I thought about that continuum, the image that came to mind was one from the second chapter of Genesis, where you remember God is depicted as stooping over and forming a human shape from the dust of the earth. And then, sort of like a lifeguard giving mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation, leaning over and breathing God's very breath uh, into that pile of dirt. Ernest Becker wrote a prize-winning book a number of years ago. It was called The Denial of Death. And in it, he says that that ancient image depicts the incredible vastness of human potentiality. It suggests, on the one hand, that there are many things about us that are akin to the material world and to the animal kingdom. But at the same time, we are breathed on by God. We have God's own spirit within us. So this incredible uh, mix of dust and glory. And in that incredible range of possibilities, you and I face this awesome responsibility of having to choose how we will make up our own lives. What will we do with this incredible gift that has been given to us? And it occurs to me that in our lesson that Charlie has read for us this morning, you have a vivid example of this continuum in, on the one hand, the experience of Jesus, and on the other hand, the experience of his disciples. So here is Jesus uh, wanting to make the world a better place for everyone, and here are the disciples content to make a better place for themselves in the world as it is. So these two extremes that every one of us has to face. And maybe if we look more carefully at these two, it will help us as we choose how we want to make our lives uh, work today. So the story this morning is one of the traveling sagas in the gospel. It's incredible how many really important things Jesus shared with the disciples on their way from one place to another. In this case, they are trying to make their way through Galilee on their way back to Capernaum, where it all started. And as they walk, Jesus is reiterating something he has told them before, something he will tell them again. He is about to be handed over into the hands of evil people who are going to kill him in cold blood. 
But this will not be the end of the story, he says, for God is going to raise him on the third day. Now, this is not just a prediction of what is about to happen. I would suggest to you it is also an affirmation of really one of the basic patterns of reality. So here is the daring assertion that what goodness can do to evil when it absorbs it and when it gives back something different in return, that that is actually greater than what evil can do to goodness in all of its destructiveness. Jesus is affirming that if we dare to stay loving, even when others are doing terrible things to us, that God will honor that and that God is going to bring something good out of it. And that is the way we make the world a better place for everyone. Now, I know. But this, I want to suggest to you, is really hard-headed realism. This is not some kind of soft-headed idealism. The truth is, when we return evil for evil, we don't resolve the problem of destructiveness. We simply multiply it. You do something hurtful to me, and I decide I am going to give you a taste of your own medicine. You slap me up one side of the head, and I decide I'm going to slap you up the other side of your head. The truth is, evil has not been eliminated. It has only been multiplied. But this is a lesson that we have problems learning at every level of our lives, in our personal relationships, in our society. You remember Martin Luther King used to say, the logical end of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is a blind and a toothless generation. On the other hand, if we find the grace to take evil and to return a different kind of response, then there is at least the possibility of exposing evil for what it truly is and maybe even transforming it. And that is precisely what Jesus went on to do. As he made his way to Jerusalem, he was walking into the very heart of darkness. He was treated more brutally than we would treat a brutish animal. And yet, in the face of all that, he never reduced himself to responding to evil in kind. He always acted lovingly. In those last hours, he actually prayed for the forgiveness of his killers. He cared not only for his own mother, but for a thief he had never met. And the result was that the most hardened person in that context, the Roman executioner, who probably had watched countless people die on crosses that he had nailed them to. He was so in awe of this one who stayed loving in the face of the most unloving treatment that when Jesus breathed his last, he actually said, this must have been the Son of God. The tradition, of course, is that he went on to become a follower. In other words, God honored Jesus and God used that. And the even greater truth is that you and I have been breathed on by that very same spirit. We have the power to stay loving, 
to not respond to evil in kind and thereby to transform it. This is really the essence of what it is to be formed in the image of God. In Peter DeVries' novel, The Blood of the Lamb, there is this very telling passage in which a 10-year-old girl is diagnosed with leukemia. Her father, understandably, is deeply impacted by that disease. He does everything in his power to help her. When she is struggling in the hospital in pain, he wants to try to divert her attention. And one of the things that they found really entertained her entertained her was looking at old Laurel and Hardy movies. And especially that one scene where you remember Hardy throws the pie in Laurel's face and Laurel very quietly peels back the pie from his eyes. It always made her laugh. Well, her birthday loomed on the horizon. The father was anxious to make this a special day, and so he baked a cake with her name on it. He decided to get to the hospital early that day because he wanted to give her as much joy as possible. But even as he turned the corner down the corridor where her room was, he saw the nurses and the doctors whispering outside of her room. He sensed immediately that something had happened. And sure enough, when he got to the room, he found that, ironically, her birthday was also her dying day. He so had not wanted that to happen, that despite all of the signs leading up to it, that announcement came as a shocking surprise. He stood there in overwhelming grief, tears welling up in his eyes. With nothing else to do, he stumbled out into the hall, grief all around him. He began to wander down the hallway. It happened to be a Catholic hospital. So at the other end of the corridor was a statue of Jesus, his arms outstretched tenderly. Underneath were those wonderful words, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. He looked up into that face. He looked down at the cake that he had so carefully prepared, and in an act of sheer frustration, before he even realized what he was doing, he took that cake and he threw it in the face of Jesus. No sooner had he done it he recoiled in horror. What have I done? I have profaned the holy. Standing there with tears in his eyes, he had one of those incredible epiphanies. Through his tears, it seemed to him that those hands tenderly uh, poured out, instead of balling up in fists to hit him back, just like old Laurel, very quietly began to wipe the cake from his eyes, and when he could see the eyes of Jesus, they were filled with tears rather than the fire of anger. He said that in that moment, he felt like he had caught a glimpse into the heart of God. Because even when we treat God horribly, there is a love and a mercy in God that is greater than even the worst in us. 
The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. And that spirit has been breathed into you and into me. But now for just a moment, let's look at the other end of that continuum. While Jesus is heading down this path, here are the disciples. And what are they doing? They are arguing about who is the greatest. Even the disciples of Jesus don't have a clue. So intent on getting something from people rather than giving something to people. And that disease is epidemic in our society today. There are actually those who care more about their own rights than they do about the common good, who would be more than willing to sacrifice thousands and ten thousands of lives so that they could get what they could be able to do what they wanted to do. And that way of only trying to make a better place for yourself is a recipe for self-destruction. Because to live only for yourself is to deny the fact that you were created by love and for love. Seeking only for yourself will ultimately get you just that, yourself. C.S. Lewis remained a bachelor until well into his mid-50s. He tells a story about one night uh, waking up. He was sleeping in his quarters there at Oxford where he was teaching. It was a cold winter's night in England. It was 2 o'clock in the morning, and he woke up in utter darkness, like some kind of black hole. No one to speak to or to interact with, nothing to see, nothing to hear. And he realized that if he had to live forever in that situation, it would be antithetical to everything that brought joy into his life. As he lay there in bed, he pondered, what would it be like to live in that kind of cut-offness? And he suddenly sat bolt upright in his bed because it dawned on him that that kind of aloneness was the logical end of a self-centered life. He found himself wondering, could it be that we will get in eternity what we have lived for in this world? That is, if we have loved God, if we have loved others, if we have loved beauty, if we have really sought the truth, then we are going to be born into the context of a great richness. But if we have lived solely for me, myself, and I, if nothing else has mattered, what if we finally get just that in the end, our lonely, bare selves, and nothing else. He said it was an image that made a burning hell seem mild. And he went on to, to remember that the worst punishment we have devised, short of execution, is what? Solitary confinement. Cut a person off from every relationship, give them nothing to relate to but themselves, and that is antithetical to what makes for joy. We live in and we live for relationships. And to live only for self leads to a kind of hell in the most vibrant sense. I remember several years ago, 
um, reading a novel about a man who had survived the terrible destruction of a neutron bomb, which apparently is the kind of weapon that kills all the animal life but leaves most of the material intact. So he was the only survivor in the city of New York, which meant that he could now live in any penthouse that he wanted to in the city. Any car was available for him to drive. It was all his. And yet, as the story unfolds, he gets sicker and sicker, less and less fulfilled. Because the truth is, living in the loveliest home in the world becomes nothing but terror if it's only you and nobody else. And driving the finest car ultimately has no joy if there is no one to sit in that seat next to you. You see, if we live only for ourselves, that is not only how evil is born, it's how the human spirit dies. Which brings me back to the sentence where we started. Only two kinds of people in the world, really. Those who want to make the world a better place for everyone, and those who are content to make a better place for themselves in the world as it is. Here is Jesus, trusting that if you stay loving, God is going to honor that and ultimately use it. That what love can do to evil is, in the end, greater than what evil can do to goodness and love. And that spirit is in every one of us. And yet the potential is always there, as one of our former presidents said, to not inhale that spirit and to be content to live only for ourselves. If there are finally only two kinds of people in the world, and if every one of us has both potentials, how am I making my way through this world? And you? Amen.